Oh, good morning. Welcome to Blue Lotus Radio. It's Wednesday morning and it's Anakalima talk time. So, welcome, Anakalima, to our talk show this morning. And um, we are going to be looking at a topic which is, let me tell you in a minute, this is very interesting what she has chosen to talk about this morning. And um, to be or not to be, that is the question which from Shakespeare. And then also another quote from the Master El Moria. Um, where can I find it? Here you are. You are not, you are what you think you are not. You are not what you think you are. So these are very, very interesting topics for discussion this morning. By, um, these are the topics presented by Anna Kalima, and we're going to have a lovely time this morning to be able to talk to Anna Kalima. Good morning, Anna Kalima. Blisteringly hot and unbearable here with humidity as well. So thank you. Yes, it's a very interesting topic. It seems as if it might not have much of a potential, but Master El Moria has often quoted the statement to be or not to be because it is a choice. It always lies in choice because we have free will. And what lies behind it is the intent of what he is pointing you towards. What is he suggesting? What is he actually saying? So that is really where it lies at the moment. Right, yeah, I'm just adjusting the volumes there. Okay, so beloved uh, Almor is, is also the key sponsor of the Blue Lotus Radio. So, so we're going to enter this domain of discussion now. So, Anakalima, where shall we start? To be or not to be? Shakespeare. This yes, Shakespeare, which we know is actually a pseudonym. Um, he was actually an embodiment of Saint Germain's. So those words actually come from Saint Germain a very great poet in his time in the sense of when he was in embodiment. Uh, I think both Saint Germain and El Moria and Lanello had very powerful embodiments. People may not know it, but um, El Moria wrote very powerful poetry in his time, particularly when he was in Ireland, in one of his Irish embodiments as um, Moore, Sir Thomas Moore. So the statement to be or not to be lies very much in whether we're going to be committed to being the sons and daughters of Almighty God, whether we are going to actually take the word be and look at it very carefully, be. I wanted to bring up two other things, the word because and believe. To, to be because and believe. And because is a very interesting word. And so is belief, you know, by your belief or do you believe um, 
very interesting because the word belief actually comes from to be in life. Do you believe? Now, if you are going to be in life, then there must be a statement in the actual word be, be, to be. You could also take it as a by your leave. You believe by your leave. What does by your leave mean? It means by your own volition, by giving forth from your own free will. Because means to be in the cause of the issue, to be cause of the issue, cause and effect. There's always an effect after the cause. So you be the cause of your belief. That's what because means. Because you believe is actually a title of a book written by one of our very own here in South Africa called Soli Ozdorovich, who he wrote many and still does, I suppose, write many of these they're very intense Orthodox Christian works of very, very active practical faith, but a very faithful and very devout soul and very much a servant of Christ. And I have actually one of his books that you can pick up from the Christian Union Mart, these Christian bookshops that are here in South Africa. I don't know what else they're called overseas. Probably very similar because you believe now, I have it placed in, in such a, a situation in my personal um, chambers and I am able to look at it often when I'm reflecting and meditating and working and so on and so forth. I find it very empowering, uh, that title, especially written by a, a man who is ostensibly in South Africa, what we call a duomini or a priest, um, a lay priest, a, a minister of the church if you like, um, ministering the works of Christ so it does come from a very sincerely intended foundation in the way it's presented his books are always very beautifully bound um, and very very beautifully printed inside and they're not actually overpriced either I mention this because sometimes even these simple books can have a profound effect on one when one feels reduced down to not believing and also to feeling very full of doubt and fear. We tend to go to grassroots quite often. That's why we will often pick up the Bible in its fundamentals and work with the, the New Testament. And I'm sure just about everybody has done the, the usual where you just open the Bible and there pops out a little message from one of the books of the New Testament. As your eyes fall on a particular statement or maybe one of the messages Jesus himself gave so because you believe is a message to me to constantly support the efforts that I pour out in serving humanity in the way I do because I believe okay because I chose to be I chose to be I am the cause of my belief Ralph because you believe the cause is my efforts I pour out and I believe, in other words, I am that that I am in the efforts that I work in. To be or not to be. To be is a statement of being. A statement of actually announcing, in a sense, I am who I am to be. You know, this is very important for people to understand. It's not just simply something that you add to another word. You know, I like to be in this place. The Buddhists, the very intense Buddhists in Tibet, in the 
Yellowhead Vajrayana Kayagyu division of the uh, Dalai Lama, when they teach the Vajrayana essence of the five Dayani Buddhas and the teachings of Tsongkhapa and the teachings of Kwan Seyun and Padmasambhava and Gautama Buddha and also Milirapa, the famous um, one who used to sing. Milirapa used to sing beautifully, also write incredible poetic works as we would understand them, or sutras. They talk about becoming. We talk about in the West of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about becoming enlightened. The Buddhists just simply say, you become. Uh, it's interesting. Now, if you take the word be and the word come, it means that you are arriving somewhere. You arrive in the affirmation of your statement of being. In other words, I am. I am that I am. Therefore, um, I can become more and more of that than I am. You see, if you look at just the very practical issues of driving a motor car, for many years you should become quite proficient, right? You become proficient at driving, we hope. <laughs> okay. So in, in Buddhism, they will always say when, when they see that their neophytes and chilas and so on and so forth, as they are referred to in the Bodhisattvas, yes, they become. They say in the broken Tibetan, they become. Um, in other words, they just are manifesting more and more of the Buddha. Why? Because of the word be, e, to be or not to be, means a statement of absolute acknowledgement of your own Godhead. But it is also um, indicates that it's a choice. Yes. You can decide to be or not if to we're be. We're looking just at the word be at the moment, yeah, being, being, before we look at the actual statement that refers to choice, mm. which means it immediately delivers you from ignorance. Because ignorance is a choice, Ralph. So yes. if you choose to ignore things, well, that's going to be... Usually the results are pretty hectic and they can be very disappointing and very uh, demanding and draining. Okay, Mankind have ignored and ignored for a long time the plea of their Senate Masters in the various schools they've given, even in Orthodox religion. They have ignored, ignored, and this is why we are where we are today with the planetary body in a situation where the darker side wishes to take over this planet at quite a rapid rate. Of course, we know they will not make it and come through. But the point is, the choice of ignorance was to rather be entertained, to be entertained by television, to be held by this horrific little box in the center of the room. Although today it's not little anymore, is it, Ralph? It's usually quite massive screens as well, yeah. apart from the movie houses themselves and so yeah. on and so forth. And now, of course, all the short intermedia of devices and laptops and smartphones and all these things that we have, um, notepads now, I believe, are the, the in thing because they're so very tiny and compact. And there again, it's a choice, isn't it? I must have that notepad. But it does connect you to the Internet of Things. Otherwise, how else does it work? So it's a choice as to how you're going to be entertained by that or not. It's entirely up to you. But to come back to the word to be is first very important. means I am. So if we say to be or not to be, it points to your God. It, it says you either are awakening in Christ in the I am or you're not. You either are becoming the pure Bodhisattva to be one day in the future 
a Buddha or not. I mean, either serving mankind or not. But that is really what the great master is alluding to, that it is a, a, a very conscious decision. To emerge yourself into Buddhism, to become a Bodhisattva, is a very conscious decision, just as it would be for anyone to take on, say, the medical fraternity. We're not looking at what is going on in the world now and become a doctor. That's a good 7 to 10 to 11 years of very hard studying, and you decide to what? Become a doctor. So to be or not to be means you pour the sum total of who you are energetically and in your soul into what you're going to do and, and, and give. I decided to become a messenger. I do not channel. Um, I must make that very clear to my listeners. I'm not unconscious. Channeling is to do with mediumship. I'm not a medium. I don't entertain spirits I cannot see. And disembodied people and beings from other galaxies that cannot see them and don't know what they are. When I work with the Ascended Masters and the Great White Brotherhood, I am awake. I am conscious when they work through me. I am conscious when the speech is delivered. I have to work very hard to deliver that speech. I study. I meditate. I abstain from just about everything. I live a very quiet, secluded life so that I can offer myself, as El Moria likes to call it, as a divine ventriloquist, <laughs> so that the great ones and the, the angels and so on can work with the power of the word through me, and people can receive it. I am conscious of when that word comes through me. I am conscious in it and before it and after it. I am conscious of direct communion with the Ascended Master prior to the entering in of that message. And sometimes it is so incredible when the message is being given, while the message comes forward, I can still commune with the Master and he can still tell me something while I'm talking. That's very interesting. I'm fully awake. That is a choice of being. I have become a messenger to and for the Great White Brotherhood, sponsored by certain very direct ascendant beings and Archangel Michael himself. So I don't know if that helps you in the sense of career. You can say my work is the coalition of my career to become as much of a messenger as possible, to lay down my life because I do. To do this work, I have had to give up a tremendous amount that most people just take for granted that you do in your life. I live very much as the monastic people do, as the Buddhists do. I live in total abstinence, so that I can keep the vehicle pure and clear. All right, I do not partake of stimulants and that and this and all sorts of other things because I decided to be, and to be the very best of what I want to be, which is that direct and open avenue of light where through crystalline rods of light from the ascended consciousness of the cosmic Christ, I can receive the impetus of telepathic speech and pass it directly through. And that is my choice. Now that you think about that, that is an extremely conscious choice because it's not just, okay, I'm going to do that because don't we do that often, Ralph? I'm going to do that because you're so inspired and actually you never do. Because you either shelve it or you can't quite do it at the moment. So you put it to the side, but actually you never do anything about it. So to be or not to be is quite an intent 
statement from El Moya. It's talking about commitment, absolute bona fide commitment. So that's very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, so if you don't make a commitment and if you don't engage with your commitment, um, then you are prone to become uh, a non-being, which is, what is a non-being then? So a, a person who becomes a, the victim of circumstance has and he's given up, then he's really given way to a series of non-being yeah, you take the word being as well. Being really comes from the word of being in Christ, knowing that we speak of the universal Christ. We speak of the etheric Christ, if you like, or the cosmic Christ. And then we speak of the macrocosmic Christ unto Atman, which is very, very high. Atman is even beyond the state of the Buddha, which is where we find um, Elohim and we find the nameless one and we find great powers and legions of activities we will not understand because in a sense they are formless they certainly don't hold form we can relate to and understand to so so being is to consciously envelop consciousness into the stream of your being that makes your conscious being in other words it's a being of will you activate your being Receiving the solar light of the Logos, which is another way of looking at Christ consciousness. The solar light, because we are solar rays from the sun, the great central sun. That's, as I've said before, where the word soul comes from. So we are a solar ray of God consciousness. But God doesn't want to, in fact, it's written in the Bible, My word shall not return unto me void. We are the word, but we're not the living word yet because we're not ascended. We are the Word incarnate, but we have not become the Christ, therefore we are not the living Word. To become the Christ means we to return to God, but not void, in other words, empty. God doesn't want what He's given you, given back to Him. That is, it's actually quite a, a, an insult. But, well, I'm not doing anything with what you've given me. Thank you, I don't want it. That's literally what people are doing. And God is saying, well, you know, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I have brought you forth and I expect you to go out there and take dominion and multiply. And that's another one of these aphorisms that people don't understand. I mean, deliberately spawned in religion to take dominion and multiply means, what is the word dominion? The word dominion means to live, to live. And multiply means to expand your light. It doesn't mean to have as many children as you think you can possibly bring forward into the matter plane. It actually means that you first take command of your own light, your own consciousness, and you merge or you re-merge your consciousness back with the Christ. That is being, Ralph. Mm. That's a wonderful introduction we've had here to this topic this morning, to be or not to be. So let's just have a quick break, and we'll come back in a moment to continue this, con this uh, conversation. <coughs>
with you and uh, well we're actually talking about what it takes to exist some people don't exist they are but they don't exist because they have not understood what uh, it means to be to claim consciousness yeah that's really what that is you're claiming consciousness no no consciousness is something ordinarily people don't think about because you talk about being conscientious, it's not the same. God bless, there are certain people who think it's the same. To be conscientious is not the same as consciousness. And to be conscience-orientated is not the same, because that implies morality. Okay, although it is definitely linked. So, yes, to to be is consciousness. What is consciousness? It defines whether you are sleeping in your soul or whether you are awakening in various levels, whether you are in the East or the West, whether you do it through the Buddha, the Christ, or even through the devotion of um, the Divine Mother. There is a sense of awakening that allows you to be, that says, I am, which becomes more than just a mere statement, because most people furnish I am with, uh, I'm sitting in the studio talking to you, I am sitting here. They will furnish it with action, with what they're doing but they don't furnish it with just simply by saying it's the most profound experience to sit quietly in meditation simply say I am in a sort of loudish whisper, not too loud, but with deep intent after some breathing, deep breathing, and you just say, and you breathe out, and quietly close the eyes, and obviously you're connecting with your heart, so you feel this heart intent because you've removed yourself from the intellect. And you say, I am. Later on, you can furnish that with the other half of it. That I am. I am that I am. I first tried this in my 20s, um, in my late 20s, when I started working very profoundly with the Great White Brotherhood. And I can still remember very clearly as a young woman sitting in my living room and doing that, closing my eyes, breathing, it wasn't because anyone instructed me to do it. I felt very inspired to try it. And the experience was very profound. Because then you've got to look at what those two words are saying. I am. When you connect it to your own soul worth. 
when you connect it to who you are, becomes more than just something you furnish with activity. I am doing, I am buying, I am going to sleep, I am listening, I am studying. Something. You're always furnishing I am with certain activity, always. All right, I am painting, I am simply sitting down, I'm having coffee. But to just say I am and leave it hanging, leave it suspended before you, it actually opens consciousness because there is a power in those two words, all three letters, I am, is connected to the eye of God, E-Y-E, your third eye, and the A and M is the Alpha and Omega. So in a sense, you are saying I in Alpha and Omega, but instead we say I am. So I in Alpha and Omega immediately furnishes, divinely speaking, your consciousness in the Godhead, if you know that that is what it means. Because you say I, now normally we don't say I, I, I when we are seeing. We say, yes, I see. And we add the I before the C. And we don't quite realize in most people are unconscious in their speech. God bless them all. And they say, yes, I see what you are saying. How can you see what someone is saying, Ralph? Are they writing the letters in the air? No, they are actually creating an image in your soul, in your feeling life. So your third eye is far more than just being able to see an image. It feels and it sees, it knows. It, it has mm. an experience of what you're seeing. Sometimes, particularly under these lockdowns, we the, I've picked up on social media of genuine souls who are all crying out, oh, I just want to walk in nature. I just want to stand there and close my eyes so that I can see everything around me because they want to use the third eye. They want to see the forests or the mountains or the sea or wherever it is what nature mm. represents for them and mm. breathe in those wonderful um, fragrances from nature. So what are they doing, Ralph, in saying that? You're saying, I want to experience my consciousness in nature. So I am or to be is very similar. It's consciousness. You claim consciousness when you say I am in that manner. You claim it especially when you know that that consciousness is in its root divine. Pure consciousness is divine, otherwise there's nothing. There's just the repetitious cycle, or as I call it, the, the great conveyor belt of astral or emotional effluvias. St. Germain uses that word so often. Effluvia means, means sure, just about everything that's thrown in. Like in South Africa, we have this poikikos thing where you have a so-called outside supper and you have this really big old heavy metal kettle thing and you throw in everything, potatoes and carrots and whatever else, you, you cook it all up into a kind of stew, okay, and, and that's really what that is, it's just the fluvia, it's everything that's thrown in, but the stew of course you can at least eat, <laughs> what the master's referring to is kind of the junk thinking that we do, you know, silly nebulous thoughts that don't give you anything, criticism, judgment and really too much desire of wanting, wanting, wanting. That is effluvia. And people think that all that is just something that's going to disappear once they stop thinking about it. And thoughts are things. They need to go somewhere. So where do they land on the conveyor belt of your own astral body? That's why you will find certain thoughts keep repeating themselves and repeating themselves because the conveyor belt's got a motor on it. And the motor is the electromagnetic plane of this planet. And we all have a miniature one around our solar plexus. And then it's called by the masters the electromagnetic belt. And so in the astral world of your being, this thing just keeps rotating and rotating. Things just keep coming round and round and round. That, Ralph, God bless humanity, is not consciousness. And people think, they think in that. 
first of all, the power of thinking is not something that is spit off a conveyor belt of emotion. Because emotion means energy and motion. So, you know, you suddenly receive this emotion, this energy in motion, and in your feelings, you either like it or dislike it, or so on, and thoughts arise as to how you're feeling about it. That's not thinking. People think that's thinking. It's not thinking. In the main, and God bless again, and if I offend anyone, please, there is no intention here, but most of humanity do not know how to think. Yeah, I think that is true. I think we our thinking has been blunted by various things like one for one education education nowadays does not train people to think but simply to memorize and memorizing is certainly not thinking so what has happened is the intellect has divorced itself from reason and reasoning is real thinking and this is quite a lack today if there was that kind of real thinking we wouldn't uh, be so obedient to, to the, all these lockdown rules because um, they are um, they are not they're not real they just yes we, we, we are definitely some of the greater thinkers of our time postulate this at the moment and they do say this is truly the age where reason has flown out the window and mankind is completely unreasonable there is no reason out there there's also the statement in the Bible <laughs> written by Almighty God where he says, Consider the ant and be wise. Okay, which is to do with reason. And we have to look at the ant and see the way the ant works and builds its life and so on and so forth. If we consider the ant, the little builder of the earth, because yes, when they bite, they sting because they have formic acid to actually form, to create and build their wondrous hives that they have in the earth okay but they also tunnel and funnel and aerate the earth they are very important little workers okay so if we look at them in the order they work in order ants. they work in precise order this is what he's referring to almighty god is the order of the ant is actually incredibly intelligent okay because he's a builder of form so it's actually a minute effort coming from the elohim the builders of form and creators of our being, our body, and our, our planetary body as well. Mm, that's so interesting. The ant is a builder of form, yes. really. That's so interesting. Yes, you know, um, thinking builds form as well. So thinking is a builder of form. You, It's the building blocks of creation to think. You can create a whole life if you think constructively. Also, if you think in compassion, in compassionate terms, what people don't understand is their thoughts and their feelings are married you see, you can't have feelings without thinking, and you cannot think without feeling, which is why there is so much chaos as well at the moment, and people are so frightened, is because they are actually, uh, I will rather leave it to say there are beings out there at the moment who do not feel, therefore they only think in cold, clinical terms, devoid of any humanity, which is what this... Uh, pandemic is about and this need to mask humanity is nothing other than a form of concentration of denying you your right to breathe your god-given air it is the denying of your right to breathe and i've come across um, in media of late there's now a global petition being signed by 
doctors and clinicians and nurses who have been nursing for most of their life and so on, who are now like mother superiors and hold very serious positions in various clinics and hospitals and so on. These are people with, I suppose, what we can say, clout. You have in in effect, affected humanity, but for the better, who are signing a petition that is becoming very big um, globally, like the One Millions uh, that has was originated here in South Africa, um, are signing this petition to state the danger of the mask as well, and how it is a well-known fact that when limiting the oxygen and, in a sense, regurgitating it, you can actually suffer incredible brain damage that cannot be um, any way remedied. Now, why do I mention this? What's this got to do with all of what we're speaking this morning? Because, because it's it's directly out of non-consciousness and non-being, and it's also out of non-feeling. So if we don't feel, we can become what also the Masters teach as dead in the sense of non-reality, the living dead. So you have a bunch of individuals which would be described as the living dead, who are dead in their emotions, dead in their feeling life, and make random decisions on behalf of humanity, which incarcerates humanity into their myopic view of what life is supposed to be about. That kind of thinking is also not thinking. Okay, it comes from something, unfortunately, I'm not prepared to comment on a lot darker and a lot deeper and actually does not come from this planetary body at all. So at the end of the day, when we look at feeling and thinking, you can smart yourself as much as you like, but you cannot have feelings without thoughts. And you know, if you start thinking about someone, let's just say you don't like them, what happens? Your feeling world immediately becomes a bit rankled, doesn't it? Uh, you know... Fred, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and and maybe you work for Fred, and he very unjustly and very, very nastily just fired you out of your job. And you think of Fred, and what happens? Your emotions start churning because you feel the injustice of the way he dealt with the situation, or the usual proverbial family member. You had a squabble with your son, your daughter, your spouse, whoever it might be, and you think about them. Maybe an hour or two later, you're working, and you're feeling very uncomfortable. So you must understand your thoughts are always clothed with your feelings. Your feelings put the color into your thoughts. This is how St. Germain has taught it. Feelings put the color into an otherwise very, you could say, metallic way of thinking. So feeling gives color to life. It gives color to your thoughts. Hopefully it's a beautiful color. Hopefully these colors are bright and beautiful and come from the causal body of God and the rainbow rays of his consciousness, and they are not dark, intrepid thinking that's clothed with dark, morbid colors, dark brown, dark, dark sort of purple, and everything that moves towards the brown and black and gray zone becomes um, a feeling that lives from the solar plexus down. It's got nothing to do with the Christ consciousness. It's got nothing to do with motivation, aspiration, or inspiration. It's actually, in fact, to do with narcissism, and being so completely obsessed with your own particular activity, you fall into what the masters call the kettle drum consciousness, or that that sits in the electromagnetic belt, you know, the solar plexus, and it syncopates. It's in a downward spiral, and it takes you all the way down, actually, Ralph, to just a little bit below your feet, if you wanted to physically measure it. Wow, that's... Yeah, you know, that takes you so you can go all the way down. 
Yeah, that's a, that's an, an interesting thought. So <clears throat> this is actually a very pertinent question we're discussing here today because many, many people now have to wake up. You, this, this is the way time of awakening. We can't just amble along with our thoughts. We have to engage with our thoughts. We have to engage with our feelings. But as you were talking there, um, so if your thinking is... is um, well, how can I put it more abstract? Then your feelings also become um, deprived of real life because I was just thinking of boredom. Boredom people are many people say oh, I'm bored, you know, because um, their mind isn't really engaged in anything, and so their feelings are also not engaged in anything. Yes, I have experienced boredom myself. It's quite an interesting um, experience to have. It's not a, a very pleasant one as far as I'm concerned. I have since a child always been able to busy myself. I've never really, really found myself very often coming into that state of being called boredom. Um, I've actually got no time for it because my blessed uh, mother always chastened me. She couldn't bear it herself, and she felt it was a frivolous waste of time to be bored. And when you could really be doing a thousand and one other things, there's always something to do, and there's always something to do that is lofty and inspiring. Um, it depends on you and whether you're going to allow yourself to be pulled down by the gravity of lower thoughts, because they weigh, they are heavy. And very soon before you know it, you're really depressed, that kind of feeling, and you feel there's this... Um, huge weight around your neck um, tugging you down to the ground and and again that of course is a choice you can enter into the swamp you can jump in and swim in amongst all the swamp swimmers but you must remember that the more people who swim in the swamp the more power there is negatively speaking of the downward feeling and you're going to stay there a long time because it's the magnetic law of attraction so it requires quite a lot of effort to say this is not for me now if you arrive at that point (coughs) And I say this to my listeners, if you arrive at that point in your soul, it means the angels are working for you very hard. The Christ consciousness and the Holy Spirit is prodding you. Why and how is that? Because this statement of this is not for me, I can no longer be with these people, this set of circumstances, I can no longer think in this domain, I can no longer operate here, means you are qualifying consciousness. You are searching for consciousness in God, whether you realize it or not, because you know instinctively deep within the soul there's something more there's something much more and it's higher it's much much higher therefore you have to go up you see like the flame a flame only ever burns up like the hot air balloon as you throw out the 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 proverbial sandbags all the grains of nebulous thinking that balloon if you like that hot air balloon is fired by the flame of god in your heart and therefore it will rise by, by by the very law of levity, which is actually as powerful as the law of gravity, but it's just man doesn't realize that or doesn't want to realize that you can rise and rise and rise. And I don't mean going on some mindless trip, which a lot of our youth are being persuaded to get involved in, and people do. They like taking certain substances and that, and they think, well, going high is going up. No, it's not. In fact, it's going down even more. And that is a story for another time. So... Yes, we need to look at this feeling of, it's a feeling, I this is not for me. It's a feeling, meaning subtly, deep underneath, or in your subconscious, 
you're being put on notice and reminded that there is something higher than this. You don't have to stay here. So the angel will quite literally think into you and you might believe those are your own thoughts. Um, it's a little bit naive to think that all very inspiring lofty thoughts come from our own source. They nine times out of ten come from the angels who work endlessly with us and ascended beings as well to lift us out of the quagmire of human non-being and lift us up so that we can start to elevate our thinking. You know, salvation means self-elevation. What's elevation? It means to lift up. And self-elevation is the path of self-mastery or self-realization. Okay, so these are, these are very interesting things it comes back to, to be or not to be. Are you going to be a little more than you were the day before? Or are you happy to just vegetate? Do you want to lift a little bit higher each day and be more than you were the day before, the month before, the year before? Do you want to be more? So the affirmation of be is to consciously participate in life. Hmm. So it all, all boils down to a choice that we have in every single moment. We are constantly engaged in this choice. So that is very interesting. We'll be back with you in a moment to continue this conversation. Here is an interesting song too. It's called The Fire Within.
And so we're back, and we're really talking about being, existing. And you can either be a non-being and be a victim of circumstance, or you can engage in life and self-elevate. So this is a very interesting concepts that are being brought here to us this morning by Anna Kalima. Yeah, I think, Ralph, in truth, it's beyond conception, and yet it is part of a divine conception and not just some kind of um, response from the intellect in an abstract measure. You spoke of abstraction earlier on in clinical emotions and, and clinical thinking, which is ironically very revered in Buddhism, but only with compassion and obviously the elevation of consciousness through the divine sutras of Gautama Buddha, that is when, in a sense, a certain amount of abstract thinking is actually encouraged through meditation, but they don't talk it as abstract. They say you detach. You detach from the emotion. You don't become involved. You don't be come involved. You don't take your being and immerse your consciousness into something to be or not to be. Mother, or Edelie used to put it another way when she was teaching us, and she used to say, the masters will teach you that wherever your focus is, there you are. Now think about that for a moment. If you think of a loved one, for example, I'm going to tell you, I'm thinking about my daughter who lives in England. I spoke to her last night. Okay, I, I can see her apartment right now in my mind's eye. Um, my daughter is extremely fastidious and lives in a very beautiful apartment. Do you see what's happening? I'm there already. I've taken my car and I'm with my daughter right now in her apartment. Because they're still a bit under lockdown in England. So I'm with her in the difficult situation she is facing in uh, lockdown in England. I'm right there. So what am I doing now, uh, beloved Ralph? I'm pouring the focus of my energy into where my daughter is living at the moment because I'm thinking about her, you see. So wherever you go, whether it's something just on the other side of the room in front of you, if you distract yourself from perhaps what you're doing and you go to a gaze across the room and you're really looking at you're pouring your consciousness in there. People do not understand that the mind is a lens. The mind is a lens. And the lens of the mind is the eye, the eye of God. So when you focus on something through the eye of God, the mind or your consciousness is there. Lanello said when he ascended, Behold, I am everywhere in the consciousness of God. I did some very interesting calls last night from the goddess of light, and I saw that in her affirmation she, also, she turned that around. And she said, Lo, O oh God, I know that you are everywhere where I am too. So wherever I am, God is with me. Wherever I go, whether I, the body sleeps at night or, or walking around, crossing the road, whatever the case may be, having a meal, God is with me there. Therefore, it would be quite you know, reasonable to consider that I'm everywhere with God too because we are one with God. We're one with Almighty God one with the divine Godhead. So this in itself can become something where we can lift our consciousness and elevate it just on that alone. The concept of being can always be, I am one with God. And if you want to be one with God, that means you've got to have some seriously courageous feelings in your being because you want to expand your consciousness because God is not in the micro, mini capsule of human intellect. He is 
the entire expanse of the cosmic void. Hmm. Cosmic intelligence is certainly not in intellect. Um, well, I think that's what really self-elevation is, is to elevate your thinking onto a much higher level. And uh, nowadays, mm, that is quite difficult when people are watching so much television. They bow down by a lot of fear, Ralph. So it's very difficult for people to self-elevate when they are actually confronted by their own mortality, which is death. You see, again, that conversation of death, which we know is not real. But in this particular time we are facing, the biggest confrontation of all is your mortality. You are suddenly afraid, really afraid, that you could die, and horribly too. It's quite a time. So it's quite a, a conscious decision to lift your thoughts above your fear and to overcome your fear. So... Uh, so the what we think is what we become. So if we constant constantly thinking fearful thoughts, well, then you're just going to increase your fearfulness. You will expand it and expand it and expand it. If you do a wonderful meditation and you use the teachings of Gautama Buddha and you work in compassion and you generate by thinking about it, compassion, you feel kindness, loving kindness uh, for people and their tremendous suffering in the world. And instead of commiserating with their suffering and then wanting to rush around pointing fingers at governments and all the rest of it, you rise above the suffering and you surrender it to compassion. And compassion is the highest form of love mankind will ever experience. Because compassion means you get away from being absolutely absorbed in yourself and loving yourself. And you spare that love for others. That's compassion. It has many levels that go up beyond that. But if you generate compassion, it expands in concentric rings out from your heart. And those pools or those circles or those rings widen. They widen just as you skim the pebble across the, the, the pond and, and it somehow meets the center before it goes down. Um, what happens if, if you are really good at that, you see these little rings start to form and they widen and widen until they go right out to the outer edge of the pond. So we are not sitting in a pond of human emotion here. We are actually sitting in a vast universe of infinite possibilities. So whether it is in the mind of the Buddha or the cosmic Christ, the etheric Christ, when we think, feel, remember I've said now they are merged, they are married, they are the flip side of the same coin. When we think and feel, we can widen these circles. We can widen them like the rings of Saturn, or the circles of what that planet truly represents, which I know you could tell us one day, but just giving you that, the many rings of Saturn. Well, we also have rings. People do not realize that you do. Everyone has rings. In fact, um, Helios and Vesta have given dictations on the, the solar ring that if you are to connect with them and meditate with them, they will activate the solar ring of the cosmic Christ consciousness in you and help you to expand it and expand it through the rod of Elohim, um, the Elohim on the second ray. My consciousness is gone now. The Elohim of the second ray. When we That's actually think of Apollo and Lumina. Apollo and Lumina, and he holds the rod of God. He holds the cosmic Christ, macrocosmic Christ consciousness of Almighty God. So the solar ring of Helios and Vesta 
who, if you like, are the godparents, if I could call them that, of our solar system, not just this little galaxy. They are the, the light source of our solar system. And we can activate these rings, and then the Christ consciousness becomes even more a divine reality for us. So, yeah, it's quite a thing to expand your consciousness in concentric rings of compassion, because it is not something that just sits around you. We are, what, part of each other? We're part of a whole planetary body. So therefore, when we meditate like that, you can send our compassion to every single part of life. And the more you feel the compassion, compassionate beings will come and join you. This is what people don't understand either. And the more you work with compassion, the more you work with love, you attract those kind of beings to yourself. You attract the angels. You attract the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. You attract those beings who will actually assist you to expand your consciousness by adding their own momentum to your own meditation. And before you know it, you could engulf the entire universe and not just this planetary body, although it would be really good to just focus on the planet right now because of the tremendous need that is at hand. Yeah, indeed. And uh, also the tremendous amount of illness. There's a lot of illness now which is not directly connected to the lockdown, of course, but uh, just uh, sclerotic illnesses, cancer and and that and the like. Well, fear will fear will metabolize your illness. If the fear is intense enough, it will metabolize your illness. In other words, it it actually encourages it to incarnate into your body. Hmm. So. So all of this fear at this time is going to increase illness. illness yeah, it's disease. Especially disease. the cancer, eh? Yes, I think so. And I think all kinds of metabolic disorders as well. This IBS and Crohn's disease and so on and so forth will escalate to an all-time high. And then obviously new kinds of so-called diseases they haven't come across yet also will start to manifest because... A lot of what people hide when fear comes can't hide anymore, and so it actually starts to download, if you like, mm. or manifest into the body. It downloads out of the mind, your subconscious mind. Where does it download to your physical body? Yeah, it's, and um, the, the late Rudolf Steiner also said in 1924 that if humanity keeps electrifying, electrifying the aura of the earth that more and more diseases will become prevalent because um, the higher that becomes, the more it is influencing the ecosphere and we are directly involved in the ecosphere. And I think that's also got to do with the increase of cancer and uh, these kind of diseases today because now we are in the age of the 5G. Yeah, the 5G and the 5D. The fifth dimension, you know, the fifth dimension that a lot of New Age people speak of is to do with the initiation of the Paramahansa or the Swan. The fifth dimension or the Swan initiation is that that you take prior to your ascension, to the proper ascension, not just an ascension of thinking. So a lot of people do not understand that the ascension they are referring to now is the awakening of mankind into higher thinking. It's not the actual ascension in itself. The ascension of this planet is yet to come, but the ascension means to ascend or go up. In in, in concentric rings that spiral, they move up. I've had profound meditations given to me by ascended masters where I have been able to see these spiral rings 
of the ascension consciousness as it moves up in a spiral like an ice cream cone. And what happens is instead of syncopating or moving back down underneath, you widen. The ascension is to do with the expansion and widening and widening and widening of the coil of ever moving upward so that you will take in more and more and more and more and more of the etheric Christ till you merge completely with the etheric Christ and you become part thereof. Because strictly speaking, the ascension is the divorcing of the material spouse, which is the matter plane. It is the leaving of that spouse. It's the leaving of that particular wedded experience of embodiments in the matter plane moving away from gravity and moving upward. It's a very fearful experience for most as people truly don't understand what it is about and they are very afraid again of losing either the mind or their mortality and all kinds of other things that take place. So yes, the ascension is, or the 5D is, the 5G is if you like, the antithesis of the 5D. It's the absolute antithesis of it because it's electromagnetically bound. Hmm. It's going to pull you or syncopate you. I use the word syncopation because it actually describes spiraling downward. And that's what happens when you go down. You don't just plummet like a stone. You spiral down because there's a coil. There's, a, there's an electronic coil, if you like, around your being that you can't see. And when you enter into the ascension spiral, that coil is ignited beneath your feet by Saint Germain or Lord Shiva. It's ignited beneath your feet can be ignited by Maitreya too and slowly but surely you begin to move upward and upward so the concept of levitating when it is purely divine is and should be linked to the ascension and not just merely being able to float off the ground which is very easily demonstrated by certain gurus in India and you know certain avatars and so on and, and that is nothing it's, it's a physical manifestation that it's the same as psychic effluvia there's nothing to be boasted about levitation whatsoever so um, unless it's for a very very specific purpose but levitation when it is moving in the upward spiral of the concentric rings of the ascension vortex then yes you will move upward and upward and there's a point where once you are through that vortex, through that nexus point, it actually means you've left the matter plane completely. And you have, Saint Germain described it very similarly to a rocket uh, going into interstellar space. And he said, if you look at the process of the tremendous power and force that is required to break gravity and move that thing up into interstellar space, the tremendous thrust and vortex of nuclear power is absolutely in incredible. You know, when we when we look at it, if you've ever looked at um, these rockets that in the NASA release there. Okay, he said the ascension is very similar. And he said the power, obviously, on a nuclear level of the fuel and, and the reactors and everything else with that rocket, if you translate it into the spiritual dynamics, it is actually the other ascendant beings. It is the power of Almighty God in those ascendant masters who sponsor you, um, who give you, Master Kasumi calls it the cosmic thrust, who give you that thrust, that little bit of an impetus to ascend because without it you're not going to literally get off the ground. You're not going to break the suction of gravity and get off the, the gravity of where you are so that you can actually start to move upward in the ascension spiral. So this is a very interesting topic in the sense that it's come purely from the word be. 
to be or not to be because in fact if you're going to be and you move in an upward spiral of being you don't just move in an upward spiral it expands and if it expands it's going to take in something it's not just something that widens like a coil of wire it expands because it actually has electronic substance in it it has um, immortal substance in it which is able to expand and expand and expand into the universe itself and our heart has that substance in it that substance is Christ so when we talk about to be or not to be we are actually able to already then activate the ascension process if you're going to work with the ascended masters Ralph really work with the great white brotherhood this incredible and I must again to my listeners please particularly with a lot of what is going on in the world today and I was asked this by the masters the other day to make it very clear that the word white for those who are new to any of this understanding has got nothing to do with anything that is human it's got nothing to do with gender and it's got nothing to do with the color of your skin it's to do with the white fire core the the beautiful divine light of the divine mother and the power of alpha which is actually that that sits in the base chakra which when you ascend that is released and it moves in concentric rings around the spiral of the spine all the way up through the oblongata into the crown where the widening spiral becomes the crown chakra and in those thousand petals or flames of immortal consciousness you can enlighten either in Christ or the Buddha or both as the path of the cosmic Christ so to be can actually point you in that direction if you are willing to elevate your thoughts if you're willing to go beyond what the masters call mortal density and what is mortal density it's selfish thinking mortal density is when we're just so wrapped up about ourselves and the little things that carry on in our, our lives and so on that we forget there's a whole world out there of mm. people who need as well <coughs> but it's also I think when we are very wrapped up in ourselves we tend to be very materialistic so we are living in such a materialistic I, age I had a conversation with someone I know overseas um Earlier on in the lockdown, made a comment to me, and um, I got a little bit irritable with her, actually. And I said to this lady, um, she says, well, this, that, and the next with the lockdown, because she's not awake. God bless her. She needs to awaken. And she was getting very upset and very irate at the fact that her activities were curtailed. She can go anywhere or do anything. And she likes to travel a lot and go around the world a lot and so on and so forth and her comments carried on and on about well you know I've had to change my whole life I can't do this anymore I can't do that anymore I can't go anywhere anymore and she said now I've got to change my whole life because of this so I just simply answered her and I said to her my dear you and six and a half billion people on this planet as well seven billion people I suppose you're the only one who has a life to think about now, that had such an effect on her that she almost broke down and cried. And she didn't talk to me for quite some time and came back to me because, and she apologized, you know, and, and because it dawned on her that all she could think of and see and know is her own life. And this is what people do, Ralph. They get so locked up in their own lives, they forget that there's a plant full of people who also have had to completely now walk a new path or derail or 
go left or right or whatever the case may be um, or keep moving on and so on and so forth because there's not a single man woman and child on this planet that's not affected by this not one yeah that's right so the whole um, global uh, cabal if, if I can use that term has his uh, mirror and that is that people must now become not just caught up in themselves or caught up in their country, but in fact we have to now embrace the whole world. And nationalism is actually falling apart. And Thank God it is. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's uh, a really one of the great ascendant <coughs> masters, Master Chananda, he is the chief of the Indian Council was quoted in saying in one of his dictations through Claire de Lee that the greatest curse on humanity is nationalism because it binds humanity into something that is so surreal. It's one thing to stand for your nation and your people. There's nothing wrong with that. There's one thing to embrace your culture, whatever it might be, but you've got to go beyond just the culture in itself, just the nation in itself. Yeah, and that includes... Embracing other religions, <coughs> you don't have to practice them, but you can have uh, compassion, tolerance, and empathy for all religions and uh, viewpoints in the world. But it must become more and more global. We're having a wonderful conversation here this morning, and it's all about being and uh, uh, entering the ascension spiral through the way we think. I mean, we can do directly into the, uh, in the ascension spiral just by the way we think. Yana, so the next question that we're going to be dealing with is um, what, you, are, you are what you think you're not. And uh, you are not what you think you are. We, uh, we've now discussed quite a bit the uh, be the being, but now we have to enter into this second part of discussion. I think we shall do that as soon as we've had a, a small break, and we will introduce that concept and discuss that. So here we have a nice, lovely song called The Jewel. Oh 
So we're back now, <clears throat> and you are not what you think you are, mm. and you are what you think you're not. That's quite a paradox, Anakalima. Yes, it's one of uh, Elmore's most favorite expressions when it comes to awakening humanity, is you are not what you think you are. And what do we think we are? Well, I'm this. Again, it always comes around doing. You take the action out of the I am. Um, I'm a doctor. I'm a scientist. I'm uh, a gardener. I'm a painter. I'm a teacher. I'm a... And we carry on. Or I am doing this and I am doing that. And so on and so forth. And when you say that to yourself often enough and you go back from childhood and then you come back to where you are now, even for younger people, <coughs> excuse me, um, you tend to come to the word persona, your personal reality, and people say, my persona, and they're very proud of it. And they say, my personality is something I've developed over a long time. And what are you really saying? Your personality? You're, you've developed your personality your personal reality, and then, but where are you? Where are you in it? Because you're not your personal reality. That's what that means. You are not what you think you are. You are not your personal reality. But you are what you think you are not, which is a being of light, a being of the spirit, a being that actually has consciousness and a place in all of this. You're not just drifting in and out. When I say drifting in and out, you know, people come and they go. They come into your life and they leave your life. You're not just drifting in and out of experience. So when you say um, you're not what you think you are, people really, really believe profoundly with all the sincereness of their heart that they are the sum total of their experiences in life. 
They're very proud to dig into previous lives and they claim themselves on that as well. Yeah, well, you know, that was me. Really? <laughs> Are you sure? Did you go back and check? You know, because uh, they give so much credit to personal reality. Your personal reality only configures around the environment of the moment. And we all know, particularly with the way things are now, the personal reality is pretty fragile. People are being shunted back and forth and moved. People are losing homes and jobs and things and having to change this personal reality overnight into something they don't understand. So what happens, Ralph, is that they become very, very nervous. They become very, very insecure. They become very, very frightened, you see, because they don't like where they are. Because they don't know who they are or what they are. This is why that saying which comes from the East, you must be like bamboo. You must be able to bend right over, almost touch the ground and yet not snap and yet not break. Now how is it possible to be like that? It seems like it's really asking far too much of us. But when we really stop and ask ourselves who we are, when we have the courage to say, well, this has been my life. This has been my experience. It doesn't mean it's who I am. It requires for you to be. It requires for you to divorce yourself from non-reality. Something that has been brought to me quite a lot of late by the Ascended is not to become so attached to the present day circumstances. Where are we living? How are we living? Even if we favor it very highly. For example, the way I've set up my apartment and um, the way I pray and meditate and decree and the way I have set up the altars that I have and so on, the Buddhist altars and so on that I have are extremely beautiful if I may say so myself I have poured a vast lot of money into it as well they are very beautiful and I'm often reminded now and then do not become too attached to this I want to remind you of something and you know I had to stop when this was given to me the other day because this uh, master he said to me go back now to a time in your life where you lived A, B, C such and such and you also put a lot of effort into your home and your environment and your altars and so on. And at that time, it was everything to you, wasn't it? Yes, you loved it. You immersed yourself into it. It was such an expression of who you are. He says, now come back to here. What can you remember of it? Doesn't it seem a bit vague? It's starting to fade, isn't it? Even that that you poured so much of yourself into no longer has so much reality to you. It doesn't seem so viable. It doesn't seem something you base your life on. I say, yes, you are correct. So Then he will say, so don't base your life so intensely on what you have now because it's going to become a memory. It's just going to become a memory. That doesn't mean we now adopt scant regard for what we pour into and do. But when we become so attached to the personal reality of the situation, we can cause a kind of damage in our soul because at the end of the day, as he's guaranteed me and I know what he has shown me, it's going to this as much as you revere and adore this is going to become a memory what then is the essence in this for you what is important in this for you is not so much what you have here it's how you're experiencing it what your soul is reporting to you so therefore you are not what you think you are you are not that valuable experience although it is you are not that personal experience your soul must have some more definition than just experience we are not the chaff of the wheat, Ralph, where we're just blown, as the masters always say, and Almoria also is so fond of saying, the wind blows where it wisteth, where it will, okay? Um, we're not just 
personal experience because the personal experience can be like the chaff. You can have this wonderful thing. Look at what some of the Americans go through in, in places like Texas and so on and so forth like that on those coastlines in California where these terrible cyclones and tornadoes and things come along and sure, their house is either blown away or drowned or something like that happens. How do you live like that? How do you live like that with knowing there's a very big chance that at least within the next three years when you move there, you could see your house flowing up in the air and being dumped somewhere else? How do you live? How do you create a personal reality around something like that? Well, you then better take a very good long look at your soul and say, what is more important? Yes, it's lovely to have all of this as my experience, but my soul is infinitely more valuable than any personal experience I will ever have in the matter plane. Therefore, I am not what I thought I was. I'm infinitely more valuable than anything I could ever have thought I was. Because in the eyes of God, I am divine. I am a soul. I am a solar ray of the great central sun. I am a soul consciousness. And what's more, I have the opportunity to become the Christ in the second coming of the Christ, which is an individual self-elevated, self-realized, self-mastered understanding Okay, just as becoming the Buddha is no different. You become through self-elevation and self-mastery, you see. So we are in that age where both streams of divine consciousness require of us self-mastery and self-realization. Now, self-realization is a very interesting word, which I was given to look at the other day, actually, by beloved Master Umram. And he said, you've got to break up the word and look at what it really means. Self-realization. The real lies to real eyes. Eyes, the eye of God. The real eyes to self-realize so we can see the real self in God. To self-realize means I see that myself is God. That's what mm. self-realization really means. Mm. I see, I realize, I understand. Another word for to realize is to understand. But real, in the, in the terms of absolute reality, divine reality, the eye of God, meaning I see the reality of my divinity. That is what self-realization means. I see the reality of my divinity. And to see is to know. It's to become, to be. And we're back to the word be. Mm. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So, it's quite a thing to be able to say to oneself, I'm not what I think I am. Because people put a lot, of <laughs> they put so much importance in what, how they think and their opinions. But what you're telling us this morning, very interesting indeed, is that we have to lift our thoughts into uh, well, into the being a citizen of the cosmos. Already. You know, the thing is, now is a very good time to view it because things are so fragile and mm. unstable. You do not know if you're going to be here tomorrow. You do not know with what is going on globally. You're really going to be in the same place. Never mind hostile elementals with um, tornadoes and cyclones and fire and heaven knows what all. You know, earth movement and, and earthquakes and, and tectonic shifts and so on and so forth and tsunamis. Never mind that. We don't know. Everything is very unstable at the moment. Actually, chaos is a moment of supreme potential. This is the moment when their masters like it actually ironically the most in the sense that this is a time when you can truly just forsake. You can forsake everything to walk a different path. You can actually just throw it up in the air and walk away right now and say, no, I want to start again. I want to do this and this. If you are running a business or so on, you can still move it in a different direction. 
But the real business you're running is the business of becoming. Jesus always said, I am about my father's business. And his father's business was Lord Maitreya. And the business was of moving away from being married to the concept of personal reality or persona. This is where the ego was born. This false identity, it is false. It's not a nasty word in saying, well, my identity isn't false. But unfortunately, what people need to look at is they've based their identity on the ephemeral, which is personal experience. It's ephemeral, mm. you see. And at the moment where, where the world is now, it's a pretty good time to do a bit of self-evaluation and self-elevation and have a look and say, what do I really want to be or not be? Am I going to engage and move away from ignorance and awaken? And I'm going to ask myself, what am I really? Well, who am I? What am I? If all this is not real, because it can be so substantially shifted tomorrow morning. You know, one day we were running around the next the country gets put into lockdown, a military lockdown. And just about all your so-called human rights are curtailed. You can't go here or there or do this or that. You can't socially interact and so on and so forth. You find yourself caught instantaneously in the middle, in betwixt and between, as people will say. And you have to somehow operate around that. Doesn't that in itself show you just how fragile your persona, your persona is, your personal reality, that it never was real in the first place? And that what you need to look at is your soul worth. Okay, your solar expression, your soul being to be or not to be a son, a daughter of God, so that you can find out who I am. Hmm. Right, eh? Sure. So, uh, only when your freedom is taken away from you do you realize what uh, that you that your freedom is very important to you, but it has to also be. Uh, much of wider and bigger circle. Well, well, yes, because freedom, what mankind contains as freedom today, is always encapsulated in the persona, in the personality. I do this, I do that, I go here, I go there. But uh, there have been some awakening souls who have made or found to be able to make very, very contributory comments about saying, perhaps this lockdown is a blessing in disguise. Because we turn the lemon into lemonade and we find, in fact, I came across this very short video clip the other day um, where this young man has actually made a very beautiful video because uh, he's got some lovely you know, scenes in the background, um, nature scenes and things in life and so on. And his words are, are very gentle and actually shows how the fabric of society has actually... Um, or did or was careening towards becoming something absolutely horrific from the perspective of complete lack of feeling, complete lack of involvement. The devolvement of the family life was, was completely derailed. And yet the one thing that these fallen ones want, which is to remove family life, they've given us back. Because lockdown has required man to go home. It's required him to be in his home. It's required him to look at his family, his spouse, his children, or what is home for him, and integrate with it because he was drifting further and further and further and further away from it. So, in fact, the personal reality was shattered down the middle. Your personal reality is not what you think it is. Here's your family. Who are you? Where are you going? 
That's what lockdown has done. Mm. Well, that's you put it that way. It's a very good thing, and that um, we've been, had to experience this lockdown. Well, um, Anakalima, it's really been very interesting so far. This conversation, and we're still going to have quite a bit more to discuss around this question of freedom, and of course, um, the question of liberty. Liberty to be to be liberated, because nowadays people are talking so much about uh, li- liberty in such a negative way. You know, they to be liberal. We want to be liberal, and socialism and these ideas are so liberal, and uh, yet, yet liberty is something far more profound than that. Yes, the only true freedom you see, is to be free from the prison house of the mind, which is what I was hoping to lead this conversation into when it comes to finding out who we are, because it doesn't matter how um, flexible your life might be, you might find yourself in a financial situation which is very just, and therefore you have, in a sense, even under these lockdowns, more freedom financially than other people, so you might feel you can do more, buy more or whatever the case you have a greater wider sense of choice because you're not so financially limited and so on and so forth that is still not freedom so it really doesn't matter even a man in a actual penitentiary system can be free ralph and this has been proved because um that very wonderful organization uh, started by sri sri ravishankar the art of living where he teaches the kriya yoga of lord babaji He's one individual, or his 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 um, global organization is one. The Buddhist movements are the other, and even certain Christian movements that are uh, involved in the gnosis of Christ, the true teachings of the, of the the gnosis, go into a lot of these prison uh, places to help through uh, various forms of yoga and meditation to free the mind of the prisoners, so that while they are paying off whatever it is that unfortunately caused them to be incarcerated like that, um, they can actually free the mind in the meantime so that when they do come out, uh, there is a new sense of liberation that goes beyond just freeing the body because you were locked up. Okay, So we have that same thing. The lockdown is a certain sense of imprisonment, isn't it? It's actually kind of house arrest. It's very much um, what they did in World War Two. So we have a situation here where if we really want to, we need to look at the question again, to be or not to be, and who you are, and understand that, in fact, you are not free. You will not experience freedom until you free yourself from the prison house of your mind. And the prison house of your mind will tell you you are the direct result of all your experiences, your personal reality, because it's been trained that way. So surely you must stop and say, well, if the mind can be trained this way, that way, surely to God I'm more than my mind. Because we must move away from the concept of mind. And we must move into the heart of Christ. If I'm more than my mind, if the mind is so easily swayable to train it, left or right, back or forward, up or down, whatever the case may be, Trained to be a Buddhist, trained to be a monk, trained to be a doctor. You can train the mind 
It's incredible the, the dart and storage that can come out of the mind that is intelligent. But you're not your mind. Your mind is a vehicle. And people think, my mind, they claim my mind as if it's some precious entity. You are beyond the mind. And therefore, that comes to the question, you are not what you think you are. You are in the mind of God, which is not mind in the way we understand it because it's to do with the cosmic Christ consciousness. We break the fragile mortal concept of mind, which is a container. Mind has been described in such a way can seem to be nothing other than some sort of container to hold. You have a hard drive with your devices today. You can buy external hard drives for your laptops and so on. It's a container for data, isn't it? So the mind we've been led to believe is some kind of container that can hold vast amounts of data beyond even the um, gigabyte, okay? I'm using these terms deliberately. Terabytes and so on, and we go up, okay? But you're not that. You're not even that. Yes, you have that as a tool. Therefore, what are you? If you're not the mind, and yet the mind is yours to manipulate and use as you feel like. The intellectual mind, the earthly mind, the lower etheric mind as it's taught by the Ascendant Masters. Because you have a higher etheric mind, which never enters the matter plane, which is in fact the higher self, or the Holy Christ Buddha self. That mind has never, and will never, incarnate, because it belongs to Christ. And Christ is ever-expansive. There's no limit to Christ consciousness. It's eternal. Your consciousness in Christ goes to the borders of infinity and back. And God has already gone there. God always transcends himself. And God is that mind that we are a part thereof. And God is showing us that you are not the vehicle I gave you to use. But you've so identified with that vehicle you think that's what you are. And you're not. Your soul is immortal. Your heart in Christ, in me, in my mind is God. You are immortal, therefore you're infinite. But the mind you think you are and I'm identified with has limits. Just as a computer, in the sense of its size, even the terabyte has limits. When you fill it up, you fill it up. It has limits. Whereas the cosmic mind, the mind of Christ, has no limit whatsoever. That is too vast for some people. And yet they are in their fear, not able to embrace that that's actually what we are. Or rather where we come from. However, we have to claim it. You have to claim that Christ consciousness. You must want it. You must be prepared to part with this dearly beloved called the mind. You must be prepared to part with it. Because it's, it's arrived at a point in evolution in mankind's consciousness, the evolution of consciousness, where if we can, if I may, for the sake of our listeners, is something uh, tangible to hold on to. The terabyte of mortal thinking is full. It's absolutely full to capacity. Now, either you're going to do the old route, you empty it out, you reincarnate and start again. It's really... Okay? Do you really want to do that? Think about that. Do you really want to do that? Or you decide and opt and say, you know what, I'm tired of just refilling and refilling. The same old, same old. There's only so many ways you can discuss how a rose is, 
is growing out the garden. You see how you water it and prune it and so on. And wow, there is the rose. And there's her petals and the heavenly fragrance. You can describe this rose whichever way you like. Eventually you get to the point when you reach a limitation of that description. Does that make sense? You can only fill the terabyte of human consciousness to its capacity. And then what happens? We start regurgitating, don't we? We start to go on to what? That conveyor belt of human emotion just goes round and round and round because you've reached the intellectual capacity. There isn't another terabyte big enough for you that is in the mortal realm. However, there is one. It's called Christ consciousness. The most amazing thing is it's unlimited because it's immortal. That is who you are. Mm. That's who we are. Amazing. So you can hear from our discussions with Anna Kalima that we stand for the awakening of, of humanity and uh, the awakening of humanity into the teachings of the Ascended Masters. These are the new teachings of the new era and the teachings of the second coming of Christ. They are to do with this uh, outpouring of wisdom that the Ascended Masters began in 1930 and is still continuing to this day. And we, here at Blue Lotus Radio, we, we discuss that, exactly that. So we're going to have another um, song, and, and when I come back, we're going to give you our contact details. If anyone wants to contact us via WhatsApp, they can do that. So in a moment... We'll be back with you.
And so we are back with you. And as I said, we're going to um, give you some phone numbers here. If you would like to contact us, we are Blue Lotus Radio and we're also Blue Lotus University, which is the teachings of the Ascendant Masters. So um, the contact, if you want to contact us, you contact us through a WhatsApp message uh, to Aniela, Aniela. And her WhatsApp number is plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. Let me give you that number again. Plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. That is Aniela. And you can even uh, contact her if you'd like to make a donation to this Ascended Master platform or if you want to have more information or if you'd like to put a question to Anakalima and uh, if you maybe want to be give a donation uh, to the uh, um, Cyber University or want to know about our courses that we're running in our Cyber University and you can use that number and make contact with uh, Anjela. So, Anika Lima, how does one get out of their possessiveness of their mind? This is my mind, and this is my opinions, and this is my world, and my reality, and my personality. We've, most people are so caught up in that. How does we, one get out of that dilemma? It normally takes, um, and it requires, this has been also, I speak out of experience, and not just something I've enjoyed to learn and study. It normally takes certain events in life that are usually quite unpleasant to give you a jolt. Um, the classic one is a car accident. It, it, you know that it's not too serious, but you, we all know that, hey, even the mildest car accident, which I remember having as an example, Many, many years ago as a young woman, I was uh, texting and I, I've never texted since, since I've been driving. Um, it was the one time only I had an accident while texting. And interestingly enough, we were in uh, a rush hour traffic. I was possibly shunting back and forth between first and second gear. I really wasn't really moving. We were bumper to bumper in that sense. I was texting and um, I pulled forward, not realizing the woman in front of me had stopped. And even moving from first gear to the second I hit her and my bonnet curled up like a pencil shavening on my uh, car that I was driving. It was a company car that I drove. And the shock was absolutely incredible because I thankfully hardly scratched her car. But the angle at which I nudged her, um, my car was quite seriously damaged. And I wasn't actually driving, was moving in that sense from first to second gear because I was, what, focused on something else, very focused on texting. I can't remember to this day who it was. It's irrelevant. But I was determined to get this text through. Okay, so let's look at that in your mind. And you say, your mind, we are determined to get these things through. So what happens is life bumps us very hard. And you know that I got whiplash from that. I actually got whiplash from that. I was very sore. I had to book off work. My neck was sore for a few days after that. Very sore because that jolt threw my neck right back. Okay. 
So that had an effect of making me very miserable because it's sore. Okay, when you, when you take medication and stuff like that and you get up, you're still feeling very sore. The muscles are, are stretched and bruised and so on and so forth. And it's also the shock of being caught off guard. Okay, and so on and so forth. And the fact that, oh, you know, there's now all this money to, to put out to repair your vehicle. Just let's take at that. And it's, it's a very sort of common thing that happens to people. Whether they text or not, they still can have accidents like that. You don't have to be texting. You can still have that kind of accident. I've seen it happen right in front of me. Um, what is it for? St. Germain actually made a comment once where he said there's no such thing as an accident. There's actually no such thing as an accident. And if you do, in general, have an accident, it's because you're asleep. Oh, and the cheetahs don't like him for it. They don't like him for it. I am not asleep. I was doing this. You are asleep in your soul. So life comes along, gives you a bit of a nasty prod. You know, it's the same thing. It's a terrible thing to use as an example, but something like that is very similar, isn't it? If you're somewhere, particularly happens in school, unfortunately, with bullying and so on, and you see it on the school fields, and these bullies will come up to this child and they shove him, and he either falls down or he jerks in his body, and it's a very nasty feeling. And along comes the teacher, and quickly it's all sorted out. And but the child is devastated, right? He feels absolutely violated. That jerking process is very similar to being bumped, very bumped hard. You see, so it's a bump. It's reminding you of something, something you might be putting out into the world that you're not quite aware of because of your subconscious non-realities. While we are asleep and not awake, the subconscious is actually very active. It's very active. And people say, but I don't know why I did that. God knows how this happened to me because I just don't understand why I did that. Because you know it's irrefutable that whatever it was, you must have done it because you were there and no one else was. You see what I mean? I could have said, well, I don't know how I had that accident. Because I'm driving the car, I'm holding the steering wheel, but I'm quickly, you see, and I'm not really driving. I'm just moving from first to second. Yeah, well, yes and no. I was asleep on the job. It's quite then I was given a very gentle but very firm nudge. What are you doing? This is what is also happening in the world today with COVID. People are being jerked into reality. They're being pushed into reality. They're being shoved into reality. They're being bullied around by circumstances that are not to your liking, obviously. But did we not somewhere, somehow, in some extent of our life create this? To the effect that lockdown affects you even down to some really serious issues where people are so severely adversely affected by it. You know, people are now dying, and it's not, unfortunately, as I have said before, I do not support this theory of COVID, so people do die naturally. Um, and it's not for other circumstances as well, it's to awaken you, and, and these circumstances are pretty daunting because what do they do? They shake up your personal reality. And you cruising along, what are you doing? You're sleeping. So when life bumps you, it's a very nasty surprise, isn't it? It's a horrible feeling when life bumps you. Its purpose is to awaken you. Its purpose is to actually, quite specifically in your higher self, make you feel uncomfortable so you'll stop sleeping. You know, the, you could put it down to this way. <laughs> Someone's having a wonderful sleep <laughs> in their apartment. A car pulls up sort of just, just down there on the road and there's a teenager in there and playing this godless music. And they call rock music, and you can't sleep anymore because <laughs> it's blaring. It's coming straight into you off the street, into your room, and you you're forced now to wake up and get out of bed. Do you understand where I'm driving at? You are now irritable. You're fed up because you needed to sleep in. You wanted to sleep, 
Saint Germain has made comments in some of his works where he has stated that it's actually quite something from an ascended perspective to observe how aggressive and angry people get when they are made to wake up. They get very, very nasty and very aggressive because they want to keep sleeping. That's why I use that as an example. You know, yeah, sure, you want to sleep in. That's not the issue I'm pointing at here. You're having this sleep and you get jerked out of your sleep because of something. And because of it, you can't go back to sleep, right? There's this, this kid in, in the street there and he's got his car and he's playing this particular set of music. And it doesn't matter what you do, you can hear it. So now you've got no choice. You get out of bed and you have to start doing things. The minute you get out of bed and start becoming active, it kind of fades into the background anyway because you're you're doing your thing in your day and so on and so forth. Or you get in your car and go away somewhere. Do you understand where I'm driving at, Ralph? So we need to tragically be bumped. We need to be pushed. We need to be shoved. We need to experience stuff we've put out into the universe in other lifetimes. This is part of the pain and agony of waking up. Is we don't want to acknowledge that just maybe somehow in another life I put something out and... Now I'm experiencing it to some extent in this way because I need to know what it feels like because I acted irresponsibly. This is the nitty-gritty of karma, you see. But you also have that aspect that Saint Germain mentioned where people don't want to wake up. They get very nasty, um, very defensive on, on what they're, they're defending, their lifestyle, in other words, and that they are awake as far as they are concerned and so on and so forth. But meanwhile, they're not. And in fact, Saint Germain has gone on to state as well that it's often those souls who actually go back even deeper into sleep because they are very much like cancer patients when they go into a state of absolute denial. You know, I don't have cancer because they can't accept the shock and reality of the fact that they do. It's one of the four stages of cancer. I know I went through it with my mother before she made her transition. So we do tend to deny um, completely because it's natural. No, 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 it's not me. I didn't, whatever the case may be. But waking up is actually not a, a vain thing. In, uh, sorry, I'll repeat that again. It is a, it's a very vain thing when it is tied in with non-belief. It's not a pleasant thing. It is not a wonderful thing to wake up. It's actually very painful. It's extremely painful to wake up. And that's why people go into denial. And that's why it's very difficult to acknowledge whether you really are or whether you are not. So the awakening process globally is absolutely cathartic. The world is in a state of catharsis. And and people are, never mind the COVID factor, which we know is an illusion, people are having heart attacks, brain aneurysms, and all sorts of things, and dying anyway because of the fear and the shock of what's going on in the world. It's a bit of a difficult one, a very sensitive subject, and I do issue it, I do give it out in as much compassion as I possibly can as I'm not speaking of anything I haven't in myself experienced in my life I tell you now, I tell you emphatically uh, where I am in my life it's cost me absolutely everything I have and am to wake up to be where I am it's cost me very dearly to be where I am and people don't want to pay that price you see, they don't want to know who they are because they know that the price is very high very high yeah, so that is uh, the deeper inner workings of karma. It's not just uh, uh, to pay back your debt, but it uh, it actually serves a very deep purpose of karma. And that purpose is to really uh, confront you with your own shortcomings and to wake you up 
So this is the time of great awakening then. The whole earth is going <coughs> through the great awakening. There's no one that is actually exempt of this great awakening. So, beloved Anakalima, how, how do we then, in this time, in this very difficult moment in history, how do we help people to wake up? Our responsibility is not to actually waken the people up. It's to waken ourselves up first. Because then you can do the work. You can't go around saving everyone if you haven't saved yourself, Ralph. As much as that might appear to some extent fairly noble, you can't go around and save everyone. Jesus said, Physician, heal thyself. Uh, the masters always say that um, you to truly be a healer, you must be completely whole. You must be healed yourself to truly heal. Jesus could heal because he was completely whole. Gautama also, he could heal because he was completely whole. And certain other saints could heal. People who came near within an inch of Padre Pio were healed, but he was. You know, the Catholic Church uh, portray him in a certain way. But we know from him being an ascendant master now, and I know from my communicating with him, because he is one of my sponsoring masters, uh, Padre Pio, and Pio means peace, by the way, uh, Principio, which is often given in Catholicism in the great liturgies of, of Christ, the Prince of Peace is Jesus, so Padre Pio means Father of Peace, and he was a Father of Peace indeed, and um, he was very awake, far awake, that's why the Catholic Church tried to hide him in Petrolacini, this remote, apparently, little kind of Catholic community in the in the foothills there somewhere in Italy, okay, and contrary to what happened, everyone went there anyway, and they you know, arrived in boats and things and from other countries and their cars at the time and so on and pilgrimages they were pilgrimages that went to Petrolacini. do you think they would have gone all the way there just to an, a noble being who espouses Christ or was it something more he had because he was awake Padre Pio was awake and therefore he didn't just heal he himself was healed even though the movies of his life portray him as being almost one of suffering from emphysemia he was as such still healed, and the history is filled with images of divine saints who took on tremendous suffering into their bodies, yet were able to heal because they were whole. They were paying off group karma for people, and so on and so forth, and then they make their transition under some very dire circumstances and ascend, which is exactly what happened to him. But he was awake. He was completely awake. Yeah. Very interesting, Anaknima. So we must first help ourselves and wake ourselves up, and then we can only... How can you offer people advice? How can you expect the Holy Spirit to work through you if you have not experienced life a little bit, if you have not been bumped a little bit, if you do not have something to offer humanity, if you cannot actually have... Sage advice normally comes from hard experience, Ralph. And hard experience is, of course, the greatest teacher of all. It's actually the divine feminine. It's the mother who spanks her naughty children for uh, getting out of line because it's a hard experience. It's not the wrath of the fathers. People mistakenly think it's got nothing to do with Alpha. It's to do with the wrath of the divine mother. It's to do with the wrath of Mother Kali and Mighty Astraea. It's to do with the wrath of Pallas Athena and great 
cosmic ladies like that and even Kuan Yin is as gentle and compassionate as she is can be extremely fierce and very very something to be reckoned with is the divine mother so can mother Mary as well she can be very very powerful and not just the sweet milkmaid that the Catholic Church have turned her out to be she is nothing near it you see why is it because we love because they love us so intently and they want us to wake up and if you're going to keep being wrapped up in cotton wool you never will you won't. I've seen, particularly in various parts of the world, and here Africa is a prime example, I look at how certain individuals, particularly in Europe, the United Kingdom and the Americas, take such umbrage to certain levels of what is going on at the moment, they absolutely completely spin out and freak out and do unbelievable things. Why don't we do that here? Why have we handled lockdown so differently here? Because we've had to live very differently here, because we live right on the edge we live on the edge of life all the time. We are living life more than they are. We are having to make a life out of very hard rudimentary rock. We have to carve our niches out here. So therefore we are not wrapped up in cotton wool. We know how to live. And I, I do not in any way to any of my listeners say and suggest you might be in this state of mind. But it is definitely a fact with the more you cotton wool that is wrapped around you around life the more you're going to suffer because when you're exposed to the realities of what is going on you can't accept it so you actually collapse you fall apart within yourself this is normally of course those souls that are sleeping and that are not very awake and they can't accept that life isn't this incredible thing that they thought it was and it comes back down to that original question after basically finding out who you are and then the event is that you get awoken very sharply. You are not allowed to, you are put on notice. We are not allowed to any longer get away with um, the way we've been thinking, the way we've been defining our life, the way we've been living our lives in various embodiments, which kind of leads us to the point of where we are now, which is also termed as the rude awakening. Interesting Indeed. concept. Huh? Indeed, we are. We are definitely having a rude awakening. So, very interesting. So, uh, people need to wake up themselves before they can help others. And it's an interesting concept because we do find many people now trying to teach all kinds of esotericism. But, uh, in fact, there has to be an illumination and awakening before you can do that. How do we learn but by experience? A child falls off the bicycle and he has a nasty bump and he grazes his knees. Perhaps he fell on concrete or the tarmac. It's very sore. It's very humiliating. It's it's a bit nasty to be kind of thrown off like that. And your knees are scraped and usually the palms of your hands as well. You're feeling a bit silly and shaken and so on and so forth. But do you make that mistake again? Invariably, no. So unfortunately, there are some well-doers out there who say the school of hard knocks. Well, if we didn't have the hard knocks, how would we grow? How would we awaken out of our dream state? Because in a sense, to awaken means to stop dreaming. And there are different kinds of dream, and the great cosmic dream is God himself. But there are dreams, and then there are mortal dreams, which are nothing but fantasies, because they are not real. God will come along in whatever way he, she has to, and shake you up and say, you're living in fantasy, you're not actually dreaming. The Native Americans, Ralph, in, in, in America and the various tribes and that, 
because there is a main theme of divine understanding that runs through it all, a thread that runs through it all, because I have, as I've told you in the past, um, covered their, their, their lives very, very deeply, because I also had an embodiment there, and I am very, very close to those people in my heart, because of their profound and innate wisdom, and their teachings are, are, are extremely profound in the sense of the way they wake and awaken their people and put them through what is called dreaming. And you go into these sweat lodges to obviously purify your impurities physically and, and metabolically, but also in mind and in the astral core because profound sweating like that in these sweat lodges actually does produce a cleansing of the astral body to a certain extent and it does bring about a further clarified way of thinking and then when all the effluvia is kind of weakened and dissipated and thinned out and you are more lucid and you're able to think more clearly you are able to dream properly and then you will see that the life that you were living was a bit of a fantasy something you conjured up as a kind of idle thinking which you connotated as a dream and actually you were busy creating this thing and weaving like a spider weaves its web but there are incidences where the spider will lock itself into its own web you see those are normally very nasty spiders who do that to, to, to eat their prey but let's just look at it from the pure concept of it if you're going to weave your life and you lock yourself into your own web what then? It's interesting, the internet is called WW World Wide Web, isn't it? So which web are we locked into? Are we locked into the internet of things? The web of mechanical tin box intellectual thinking? Or are we actually breaking away into the cosmic warp and woof? There's another WW for you. Of the divine web of the etheric or the cosmic Christ which is not a spider's web. It's actually made out of crystalline light. It doesn't bind, it doesn't control, and it does not lock you in. Whereas fantasy and delusions will do that. They will lock you in. You become embroiled, as it were, in your own fantasy. And then when life comes along and bump, whatever that bump consists of, and you get rudely awakened, your, your initial reaction is remorse. We normally cry, we normally get very hurt emotionally you see interesting isn't it yes the false web and the divine web the web is the warp and woof in other words how you weave in the great antakarana and antakarana and kasha not the same thing the kasha is the immediate karmic effects of your life people's lives the whole world but the antakarana weaves universes is a cosmic thread in the flower of life that is actually sewn in the eye of elohimic needle or pinpointed thought of cosmic thinking, which is always to do with crystal rays, in the, the 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 laser light of the violet flame, which was given to David to reveal David Christopher Lewis to reveal that the violet flame works with cosmic laser light intensity. It is even more precise than the tip of a surgeon's scalpel. So it's interesting how we can actually truly weave the divine dream with the cosmic dreamer himself because his dreams create worlds. His dreams are then handed to Elohim and Elohim builds those dreams. They manifest universes and planets and things. You see, that is true dreaming. 
but idle dreaming in, in cogitative thinking is not Christ, therefore it's bound and limited to the terabyte of human thought, can only go so far. And that's why your dreams shatter. That's why people's dreams fall apart, because there's no room for expansion, and they can't expand. The dream has got no Christ consciousness. It's got no foundation of Christ underneath it, therefore it can't grow. Its foundation is tinderbox stuff. In other words, it will be set alight very quickly and, and fall to pieces. The other way of looking at it is this very simple and sublime teaching that Jesus gave, saying, don't build your house on the seashore, build it on a rock. Because the sea, the tides of life will come in and wash it away. There's no reality in building foundation on shifting sands. Yeah, that's quite an interesting perspective there, um, Anna Kalima. So, we've been talking now for quite a while, and uh, I suppose we've got to think about how we're going to end quite soon. So, um, shall we take a break and then come back and then... Uh, wind it up. And wind it up, and may, during the break, maybe you can come think about how we can uh, bring this to a pertinent close uh, in in whatever way you would like to do that. And for our listeners to be bear in mind that we are Blue Lotus Radio, and that you can always contact us through the the number that I have given you. And right now we have another interesting um, songs and these songs are all from the Heart Center in America.
So thank you so much, Anna Kalima. We've had a very interesting morning uh, discussing uh, existence and uh, life itself, what what life can really mean. And um, I think I have still got one more question for you before you, I give you the microphone and you decide how you would like to end off things today. And that question is that people are being bumped a lot. People are um, experiencing devastating illnesses at this point in time. And um, some people are in a lot of pain. And uh, some people don't know how to uh, get above it. Uh, depression is also a kind of pain. And so what, what, how, what can you tell us or what message have you got for us to be able to help people um, lift out of the pain and to see the positive in what they're going through and to, um, well, to elevate, self-elevate during this difficult time? Ralph, we have the presence of uh, Gautama Buddha here now. And I think Lord Siddhartha would like to infuse, as we know he is also the Lord of the Earth, um, his teaching on ignorance and suffering and compassion. And um, we need to look at the fact that when we don't know we're in a state of ignorance, when you've lived your life a certain way, and you change and you move in the other direction. If you've ever had this experience and you look back and think, God, I was so ignorant then. Don't we normally voluntarily say that? Yeah. We volunteer it and we're not in any way offended by it. Oh, I was so ignorant then. Right. Okay. I really ignored the truth. Okay. So it, uh, how are we able to arrive at that point? Because we actually grew from it. We learned about it. And we were able to transcend it. We were able to go past it. Invariably, we do. Invariably, life herself, the great world mother, the, the archangels who work with the virtues, the virtues of um, human elevation into divine uh, elevation, the faith, hope, and charity, and all these kind of things, um, encouragement and uh, being brave, and all these sort of things take a certain kind of philosophy in them. I would like to also just add here that when I made up my mind one day to truly enter Buddhism, because it will remain nothing but a very divine philosophy to you until you enter it. You have to enter Buddhism, understand it is not a philosophy. You can make it a philosophy, and there are billions of books have been written by well-meaning individuals who still know nothing about Buddhism because they regurgitate everything. They don't put their own soul worth into it because they have misunderstood the teachings of Gautama Buddha completely. Buddhism is not a philosophy. okay? And when you enter into Buddhism, it means you enter into compassion. Compassion is the key. When you become very compassionate with people and yourself, your human limitations and so on and so forth, you truly are compassionate. Because you allow love to be the judge. You allow divine, merciful, forgiving love to be the judge. You will enter into Buddhism. And it's only then that great cosmic beings like Padmasambhava, who was the second Buddha, and Gautama himself, who will then take you with his angels through the Christ consciousness because they both work through the same. They work the cosmic Christ field of Lord Maitreya, the planetary Buddha. And they will then give you tiny little elements of compassion where you are able to actually feel compassion. 
And I want to tell you something that compassion itself does displace consciousness, but for the better. If you truly enter into compassion, um, you will change the way you think and the way you feel. Because you will start to feel, normally it starts with empathy. You will start to empathize with people, but not sympathize. Sympathy is a perversion of empathy. When you sympathize with someone, you're saying, yeah, you know, you have a very hard lot and I'm really sorry for you. You just carry on. It'll be all right. Don't worry about anyone else. You know, blow the rest. That's sympathy. I really sympathize with you. What are you saying when you say to someone I sympathize with you? You're saying, actually, what the hell you're going through is very similar to things I went through. And I felt so miserable. I know you're miserable. So, yeah, we'll be miserable together because well, what, the, what what are we going to do about it? Do you understand? Whereas empathy, you can be empathic. You can be, from empathy, compassionate. Okay, You can move into absolute compassion over the circumstances that are going around on the planet now. And the tremendous suffering and difficulties some people find themselves in. Homelessness, for one, is a very frightening thing. Because the home people do not realize just how important the home is. And if you have a home and you suddenly lose the home, you lose the foundation of your soul. Because you would normally pour your heart into your home. So the home and the heart kind of are one. So the heart gets displaced. It gets displaced. And people become very sick and very frightened and so on and so forth. So this is a time when we need to really concentrate and meditate and ask Gautama, please teach me compassion if you feel you don't really know. You, you can describe compassion, Ralph. And you can say, yes, to be very compassionate is to care more for others than yourself. It's to really want to help people out of suffering. We give the late Mother Teresa as an example of a kind of living compassion where she basically <laughs> dipped and emerged her life into Calcutta, that, that, that godless city in, in India. It's godless from the point of view that people are born, live and die on those pavements. Their whole life is around there. And it's got to be seen, that movie by... Um, Patrick Swayze, the, the City of Joy. I, I have watched it several times and bought the book. Um, in fact, you know that Patrick Swayze died recently of cancer. And there was a lot of talk about the fact that that movie absolutely turned his life around. He was never the same again after that movie. It's a very profound and quite long movie. But it certainly shows how people who live in slums and places like that still have a life just as you and I do. They still take their little shack and it's their home. They still take the social dynamics of shack life and this, the funny streets they have as, as home. So when home is removed, even when, when places like like Calcutta are flooded with the monsoons, which often happens and these people are just, you know, they, they're left homeless, it's absolutely devastating if you cannot even have your home on the pavement on the side of, of the streets of life. Where do we move with this? We move back into compassion you can't divide yourself into tiny millions of pieces and say, well, I'll just pour myself everywhere there because I feel so awful about what everyone's going through. What you have to say is, as Gautama, I, I believe, would like you to understand it, I have compassion and incredible empathy for your suffering. I'm not comfortable that you suffer because your suffering is affecting me and making me feel tremendous need to reach out and embrace you so that that suffering can be minimized to fill you with my love and my teachings that I may hold and embrace your soul, that you can birth your consciousness through this difficult time. That 
is compassion. It doesn't mean Gautama has climbed into your comic circumstances as you know you really got a rough lot and I feel really sorry for you. It doesn't mean that at all. He's completely detached from your personal experience. However, he doesn't care for the fact you are suffering because it is, in fact, very unnecessary to suffer to the extent that people do. And suffering brings pain. It brings pain physically. It brings pain emotionally. And if suffering is deep enough, you can carry it for lifetimes. And then what happens in some lifetime, you die of cancer because something you suffered from in a previous life you've never resolved eventually works it out itself out through your body into cancer. Because this is really what cancer is all about. You do not get cancer in one life. It takes lifetimes for it to manifest because it's actually a state of nihilism. Cancer is a state of nihilism. Okay, where we literally cancel ourselves out because the, the, the cancer cell in itself is very, very healthy, but it's a rebellious cell and it subdivides, it subdivides. And this is why we say this is a very cancerous time we live in because people are subdividing from each other. They're just dividing and dividing. This is what the fallen ones want right now. They talk about social distancing, which is a form of cancer. It's a form of social cancer, social distancing, because you are dividing yourselves from the people you love the most and from society. And we are naturally socially dynamic people it's just the same as if you take a dolphin and you remove it from its pod invariably it dies because it's a socially dynamic creature it's not a solitary creature a dolphin it must move with its pod it's only massive whales like the blue whale and so on like that are, are quite solitary creatures and the northern and southern right whales that are and the narwhales and so on and the great belugas are, are kind of solitary creatures but great Cetaceans, which is another word for dolphin, the great cetacean life of the dolphin is always the pod. You know, as you get a school of fish and a flock of birds and so on, we are naturally gravitated towards the social dynamics of interacting with one another. So what lockdown does is it separates in cancer, hatred in division and subdivision. Uh, I mean, you know, it's ironic that a married couple, when they leave their home, I'm giving this an example, must immediately divide from one another. They're not allowed to walk next to each other in the street. They're not allowed to hold hands. But, in fact, they got out out of the same bed in the morning and and then went out there in, in the social dynamics of interaction, in the socialistic worlds of what we have now. They're forced to divide from one another. I can guarantee you that the cancerous dynamics of Social separation is going to cause a lot of people to get divorced because they're not going to be able to work this through because it means they only allowed the, the, the personal and physical intimacy behind doors. What does that allude to? It alludes to all kinds of psychosis, Ralph, as does the social dynamics of family. So we have to come back and we have to decide that right now with Gautama, we need to look at the cancer of the time which is division, separativeness, all these isms and separate sort of divisive natures of the fallen ones is to conquer and divide and to separate people from everything they treasure, know and love, including their own dignity. And you are separated from your own dignity to such an extent where you are not allowed your own human rights. Okay, you know, have no freedom of speech and now they want to minimize the fact that your body is actually not yours anymore. Anyway, I'll do to it what I want to do to it etc etc is what they do in war okay they subject people to incredible um, dynamics of personal intimate tyranny because it's the one way you can violate a human being and shatter and destroy them completely which is the prime target of the fallen consciousness 
So what we need at this point in time with a great cosmic being like Gautama Buddha is we ask him to please envelop me, O Gautama, um, Lord Siddhartha, whatever you'd like to call him, or beloved Buddha divine. It doesn't really matter. The Buddha is a Buddha by any other name. And you ask Gautama and you say, please help me to awaken into the Christ consciousness of compassion. That compassion becomes me. The Buddhists say you become, you become the Christ consciousness. Some of those like beloved Thich Nhat Hanh, who is very universal like the Dalai Lama, will, will teach you. I mean, I've often heard the Dalai Lama talk of, of Mary. He loves her very deeply and of Jesus and so on because they know, they've, they've meditated into it. They're not stupid that there's, there's no such thing just because they, they, their whole religious focus is on the Buddha. So, you know, we ask Gautama Buddha in the social, the divinely social dynamics of Christ consciousness to envelop us angelically with his angels with compassion. You must become compassion, Ralph. You must feel it. You must feel it so deeply in your soul. Yet, the mystery is you do not become involved with what you feel. You don't become personally involved with everyone's circumstance. This is a very fine line. It's a very fine line when you detach, where you are able through the consciousness of Gautama Buddha, the Buddhic mind in other words, the consciousness of Christ, consciousness in Maitreya as a cosmic Christ and Jesus as a cosmic Christ, with their elevation in yourself, you can be compassionate and divinely loving. You can intercede with prayer, with dynamic decrees and meditation without getting personally involved because it's not your personal dynamics because the dynamics of personal reality don't exist. This is what Gautama will teach you. That's why he doesn't have to get involved because he will tell you that your personal reality is an illusion. However, your suffering is not an illusion at the moment. It is real because you are in pain. This one particular doctor, I have a lot of time for a very interesting American doctor. I subscribe to him. And um, he's come up with some very interesting thing. Obviously, he's completely against all these things that are happening at the moment because he's a genuine doctor. And with a few other bands of doctors like him, like-minded thinking, have made a very interesting observation. In other words, they've brought it to the fore now for you, the person to observe, is that um, suffering is inflammation. Isn't that fascinating? This doctor has stated that suffering is inflammatory. And therefore, when the suffering is intense enough, the body becomes inflamed. And inflammation is the harbinger of acidity. And acidity eats, it rots, it destroys, it burns. In other words, acidity burns. burns the cellular life. It burns it. It destroys the cellular life. Okay? So this doctor will say, Dr. Mercola will say, suffering is inflammation. Your thinking is inflamed. The father's doctor's gone. Your thinking is inflamed. And you are suffering in your mental body with inflammatory thoughts. And therefore, your thinking is very painful. Very nice. Love Isn't you. that interesting? Your thinking is painful. Not being rude. Not at all. Not derogatory at all. Yeah. You're, 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 you're in pain in your thoughts. Love Just like you. when someone you love dies. And you are in deep pain in your thinking because you cannot adjust the fact that you will never see or talk to or embrace this individual again. So your thinking is inflamed. 
you're in great mm. pain. This is where headaches come from. It's an inflammatory condition. And we know that inflammation is the harboringer of death. Inflammation in the body is the harboring of every single disease known to mankind. This is what Dr. McCola says. Mm, very insightful. He says inflammation is the harboringer of all disease in the human body. And he says, where does it start? In your mind. And when your mind is inflamed enough, it enters the body. We know from the teachings of the masses, it precipitates down through the astral body, your emotions, your feelings, and then it incarnates or it manifests in the physical body. What is inflammatory thinking? You're in pain, you're suffering. And nine times out of ten, you don't know how to resolve it. Nine times out of ten, you, you do not know how, how to assimilate it, to process it. And therefore it builds, it becomes a wound, you see. So compassion is an antidote. It doesn't take your pain away, but it allows you to deal with your pain knowing that there is an immense amount of love, empathy, compassion given to you so that that love makes your condition buoyant. Because inflammatory conditions are very heavy. You know that sclerosis is a very heavy disease. People kind of collapse. They physically fall down. They collapse. The body becomes people who are very sclerotic. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Rob. I certainly have. Are very heavy. You can imagine trying to pick up, pick up such a person. The body weighs quite a lot. And you get that feeling where the person is very heavy, but they've hardly got any, any weight. They're not fat. They're not overweight. They're not obese or anything. They're normal looking people. They, they actually weigh a great deal because the inflammatory aspects of their thinking are very heavy very heavy in the body already so inflammatory um, consciousness makes the body weigh a great deal burden, suffering, it's weight so compassion comes along as an antidote and it makes you step away from the focus of your pain in your thinking and your feeling so that you have relief because somebody says I love you somebody says there is divinity. Somebody says there is a way out of this. If you are prepared, even in your suffering, to look at this a little objectively and say, well, this is my karma. Um, in fact, I should, it ought to be, ironically, a little grateful it's now finally come. i give you an example. When my mom finally realized there was no way out, the cancer, she always called it, had come. And but it was at its very beginning stages. And I said something to my mom. Now my mom, um, as you know, lived in Zimbabwe, so I used to travel there a bit and back. And it gets a bit expensive. And I said to her the one day, um, "Mom, because I tried to work with Gautama with her, and I said there is a way out of this." And funnily enough, my my mother was a very profound thinker. She the, the kind of books she studied and read were absolutely mind-blowing, how she could read them without any assistance and cognize. She was a very profound thinker. My mother turned around and said to me one day, she said to me, my dear, I want to see this through. I know in my soul that if I don't, it will come back to me in another life. I have to just let this go. Because if I don't let it go, I'm not prepared to face it again. It just must come now and go. So I can get it done. I want to pay this off. I want it done. She reached the point of absolute resolution in her soul, my mother. And so help me God, that cancer precipitated so fast after that. She was gone six months later. 
took her out. Do you understand where I'm driving it now? So, so compassion is not a philosophy, real. Philosophy is unto what speculation. You ponder upon it. Deep thinking, deep philosophers, great lofty thoughts. You can postulate on them as long as you like, but until you enter them, until you incarnate into the actual concept itself, it remains philosophy. You have to incarnate into Buddhism. You have to enter your spirit into it, and you do that by becoming compassion that you are prepared to feel the suffering with others without taking it on personally and offer them solutions without being bowed down by the burden of their suffering. This is what Gautama adds to this morning, is that if you can turn to him, if you can pick up some of his teachings, just the simple teachings of the three jewels, the Dharma, the Sangha, and the Buddha, and Gautama actually taught that ironically, you don't need a whole Sangha to have a Sangha. Your body temple is the Sangha. Your soul is the Buddha. And the wisdom of the Christ consciousness in the Buddha in you is, is the Dharma. Because the turning of the Dharma wheel that Gautama brought was the bringing in, if you like, the lowering into the physical octaves of divine wisdom that gives you the wise dominion to think clearly out of the situation you are in. But unless you think that way in compassion, you will just become conceptual. You will become intellectual and very brittle and very dry. And the philosophers of this world are far too many. Oh, well, thank you so much, Anakanema. This is a, a wonderful note to end on. And uh, thank you so much for coming to talk to us again on Blue Lotus Radio. And we will, once again, next week, we will have another conversation with Anna Kalima on this program, which is her program, Anna Kalima Talk. And we thank her very much. And we thank the teaching of Gautama Buddha, who was with her this morning, to bring us this teaching on compassion. So, wonderful to have you as an audience. Thank you for listening to um, our program and uh, have a wonderful day for the rest of the day and uh, goodbye.